Hello, welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. This is the Great Big History Podcast. Today we are going to talk about the Enlightenment and the state of human nature. What if we took the science and applied it to people? Could we understand people and societies? Do people and societies work like science and follow understandable rules of the universe? That's what we're that's our question. So we have the application of science to societies and government. That's what the Enlightenment is going to do. And the Enlightenment basically goes from 1700, 1750, no, it's got to be earlier than that, 1700, 1650, to, I'll go with 1848, the end of liberalism. Um, though you can make an argument that the alignment really ends with the French Revolution, when basically because of the American Revolution and the French Revolution, the alignment is no longer about ideas, it's about actions. And so we enter into a new phase. Um, but the liberalism of the alignment continues till 1848. So you can make an argument for 1793, 1792. 1789, well, you could start with 1789, the start of the French Revolution. You could start with 1792 and the kind of end of the liberal part of the French Revolution and the start of the wars and radicalism and things we'll get into. Uh, you could go with 1815, the, the, the defeat of Napoleon. Or you could go with 1848, the end of um, 19th century liberalism and the success of conservatism. You pick any of those dates, really. Um, there are people who will probably pick even more dates, but... Those are the those are the biggies, um, but seventeen eighty nine is probably the the seventeen eighty nine or eighteen forty eight are probably the best. Sorry to have a long discussion about this. Um, the alignment is used to support or oppose absolutism, which means we have to talk about what absolutism is. But we're going to see the alignment when we talk about the alignment. Locke and Hobbes and and Montesquieu they're obsessed with absolutism. So what is absolutism? Absolutism is the concentration of all political, judicial, and military power in the hands of one person, usually a king. And absolutism is going to happen, especially in France, but also in other countries, Spain, Sweden, Denmark, Austria, Russia. And what absolutism is centered around is that power equals perception. If you think the king is powerful, the king is powerful. So the king, and this is the Louis XIV idea, the king must be awe-inspiring, divinely picked. This is the divine right of kings that the um, James and Charleses of England will talk about, that God made me king for a reason. He didn't make you king, he made me king, and he picked me for a reason. And so the idea is, I am, as, as Louis XIV said, I am the state. I am the government. I am France. And you go, well, that's hubris. But remember, we're coming out of a hundred years of civil wars, of wars of religion. The idea is that the king is going to build stability. That if you just listen to the king, things will be okay. And that's an idea that goes back to Roman emperors, that we don't want civil wars, so we'll have an emperor, one guy who will make the decisions. And because he has all the power, he is the state, and he has every reason for the state to succeed. Because if the state succeeds, he succeeds. If the state fails, he's a failure. And so absolutism is an attractive, stable, conservative model. That people liked. What does absolutism leads to? Stuff we like. Nations. We get countries. We get France. We get Spain. We get Denmark and Sweden. Local independent lords are smashed because they were the opposition. Remember when we talked about the Reformation and, and nobility revolted against their kings? Well, that proved that if they revolt, we have civil wars. So you smash them and we get a country. 
Two, so we get a country, we get nations with absolutism. Two, we get a unified law, language, religion. Now all of those are going to be the kings. It's the king's law, the king's language, the king's religion. The kings of France are Catholic. France is Catholic. Done. The language of the kings is uh, high French, Parisian French. Boom, that's French. Your local dialect in Burgundy, who cares? That's not real French. The law is the king's law everywhere. What the king says goes. Local laws, which have been around since the end of the Roman world, are going to be wiped out and replaced by this universal law of kings. So we start to get unity again, where we didn't have it for a thousand years. Local noblemen did their own thing, had their own laws. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. Three, identity changes from the local to the national. I am a Frenchman. I am a Dane. I am a Swede because I live in Sweden underneath the Swedish king. I am no longer a Burgundian. A Britannic from Brittany. I am French. And there's a great book that every that, that um, we all read in graduate school called Turning Peasants into Frenchmen. And this is a change in identity. If you are a subject of the king, you're French. This is going to be true in England. You know, I am English. I am I am an I am I have English rights because I have the English king. And that doesn't matter if I live in England or Scotland or America. The English laws, the English rights apply to me because I am a subject of the English king. And that was the identity. So your identity changes from local, which is was what it was through all the Middle Ages, the local town, the local area, the local nobleman, to national. I am not a New Jerseyan. I am an American who happens to live in New Jersey. Four, national development of people and resources. Kings had an incentive to build roads, to build schools, to build churches, to build institutions that made them richer and their people richer and smarter. So you get the national development of people and resources. You start to get universities, national universities, um, that kings support. Kings are going to pour money into national universities. The largest, the most important university in Sweden was the University of Uppsala. It was started by Gustavus Adolphus. He's going to pour a lot of money into it to train and to create the next generation of leaders in Sweden. This is the most internal development, national development, since the Romans. You get roads. You get the mail service. Why is mail important? Because it allows communication between the far parts of the kingdom. And if the government owns it, then there's no local problems that will break down that communication. You get schools. You get factories. You get the government says, I need mines. I'll build mines. You work for me, or I'll invest in local mines and you know, make the percentage from it. They're going to build armies, which are going to suck in people from all over the country, put them together, and mix them up. You get peasants carrying guns. You get cannon, all of which to pay for, you need taxes, which means government now needs to be able to get to people and say, give me money in order to pay for stuff, pay for the roads, pay for the bridges, pay for the canals, pay for the army. So government needs more, more authority and more power to intervene in people's lives. It's the most since the Romans. Now, we had strong kings before, but they couldn't reach down and affect people's lives. They couldn't build roads or bridges in weird, off places 
They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the money. They had to rely on the local noble noblemen. They had to local had to rely on the local elites. Now the king can do it himself or queen. There's occasionally queens who can do it themselves. They have the loyalty of people and they have the institutions capable of doing it. Success happens in most countries. As we talked about, the most powerful is King Louis XIV in France. I am the state, he said, from Versailles, a giant palace he built outside of his capital. Why does that matter? It means he doesn't even have to be in his capital in order to run his country. The, the government is where the king is, and information will come to him. This is um, Escorial in Spain, which is built by Philip II outside of Madrid. It's actually older than Versailles. But it means the knowledge will go to the king. The king doesn't have to go to the knowledge. Most countries, most major countries will have an absolute monarch at some point because it works. It organizes stuff. It's, it is, in many cases, stable. In f- places where it fails, bad things happen. In Poland, the king could not defeat his noblemen, and Poland will disappear by 1800. Kings, the king was too weak to keep to make Poland into a unified state and keep it together. In fact, I have my dissertation is my book is about what's called the deluge, D-E-L-U-G-E, which is first the Russians attacked Poland and then the Swedes come in and kind of flood everything. Sweden conquered Western Poland for about two, three years. Poland ceased to exist as an independent country in 1655. There was, um, at the height, in October 1655, Charles X, my my king, the king I, I have my dissertation on, was organizing a parliament of Polish noblemen in order to have in order to elect him king, a Swedish king to be elected king of Poland. So that tells you that the Polish kings were just too weak, and what happens is Poland will eventually be subsumed, will be absorbed by Prussia, by German Prussia, German Austria, and Russia. Two, England. England will have a civil war from 1642 to 1649. They'll execute their king, which means he's not divine. He's not from God. If we can cut his head off, we don't have to care what God thinks. He's just a man. And Parliament will run the show from now on. Now, there'll be starts and stops. The king will return England will become a republic for a while, then the king will return, then they'll get rid of the king, and they'll put in a new king. But in the end, the idea is that England will run. England will, will, will survive where Poland doesn't. Now, England's on an island, and it dominated Scotland and Ireland. Um, but that it's parliament, a group of, pe- group of men who will run the show, not, not one man, for good and for ill. Um, Germany has no unity, it's weak, and it's divided to 1871. The emperor is so weak, he has to get elected by super dukes called electors, seven of them. Germany will be the place wars will happen in the 16 and 1700s. You want to invade a place, you invade Germany. The Swedes will do it, the French will do it, the Spanish will do it. Why? Because there was no king powerful enough to keep out others. And so the dukes fought among themselves, lots of civil war, and the dukes were perfectly willing to bring in outsiders to help them. So Germany is the war, the battlefield of Europe from, well, basically from 1520 with the start of Reformation to 1815. So what does the alignment say about human nature? So that's the politics of absolutism. So how does the alignment figure into this? Well, we're going to do a couple of examples. We're going to do three major writers. Hobbes, Locke, Montesquieu. 
So let's start with Hobbes. Hobbes is going to write one of the most influential political books called Leviathan. It's a big book of which people remember basically no one sentence from it. Life is um, violent, brutish, and short. Harsh, brutish, and short. Why? Why does he write this? Because Hobbes lived through the English Civil War. And the English Civil War was the bloodiest war in English history. Neighbor versus neighbor, king versus parliament. It was a terrible war in England. It traumatized England. It traumatized English. Um... And so Hobbes looks at this war where neighbors kill neighbors and comes to a conclusion. People are terrible. People are horrible. How do you know? Well, this is where the state of nature comes in. The state of nature is a thought experiment. Because you can't know what it is. It is, what are people like before civilization? And you go, oh, look at the nomads. Nah, you can't look at that because nomadic civilization is a civilization. What are people like when there are no rules, no organizations, no institutions? What are people like when they are by themselves, alone, and can do anything? When there's no morality, there's no religion, there's no parents telling you what right and wrong are, there's no government making rules, what are people like in the state of nature before humans invented society? And Hobbes looked at the English Civil War and said, people are awful. People are about power. People are violent. Life is short and brutish. Basically, the strong dominate the weak. And if you look at things like um, The Walking Dead is a perfect example. I am strong, and so I can make you do things. Rick, the governor, the big bads, they are strong. Like, Rick dominates his group. Why? Because he is stronger than they are, and he's willing to do things they won't. Now, I haven't watched... The Walking Dead since like season two or three. So I don't know if it's changed, but I don't think it has. Every ad I see still has Rick with a big ass gun. I'm assuming he's still in charge of his group. And violently fighting other groups who have a big bad in charge. And the idea is that how do we create society. Well, we create society because I am strong. I am tougher than the people around me. And so I dominate them. I can make the men work for me. I can make uh, women have sex with me. I can use people because I am strong and they are weak. And what they don't want to be is dead. And so they are willing to accept my strength, my power, for protection. Because I'm the devil they know. Because out there are other strong who will treat them even worse. So the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Think Saddam Hussein. We'll get there. Remember Saddam Hussein. Bad guy. Powerful guy. Violent dictator. Bad guy. But, and we'll get to the but. So the idea is that there are, there's me, powerful guy, who dominates 
weak people around him. And the more powerful I am, the more weak people I can dominate. And in fact, people will allow me to dominate them because they want security. Think the governor in Walking Dead. People go to that society. And the governor says, I'm in charge. You do what I say. And if you don't, bad, bad stuff is going to happen to you. And people say, cool. Are you going to protect me from giant-ass zombies and cannibal people? And he says, as long as you do what I say. Okay. Cool. I'll give up my independence for security. Okay. But out there are other strong people. Other strong. Now, what happens when two strong meet? So I'm strong and I have my people I dominate, the weak. And I run into someone else who's strong. And he or she has people they dominate. We run into each other. Well, now we have options. We could fight each other to see who's strongest. That would be natural. If I kill that strong person, I get to dominate their weak people, his weak people. I absorb them. I become even stronger. <laughs> I'm like Darth Vader. But I might lose. I don't know how strong the other strong guy is. I might be the strongest one. But I don't know. And if I lose, I lose everything. I die. And all of the people I dominated are going to be sucked up by this other guy. Or other woman. Who's going to dominate them? I lose everything. Well, that sucks. So now we have a dilemma. We could fight. We should fight because we're violent guys. But neither one of us wants to lose. And so what Hobbes says is, these strong guys, me, I make an agreement. I go to the other strong guy and say, look, you do what you do. You do whatever you want to do with your peasants, with your weak, and you let me do whatever I want to do with my weak. And we'll leave each other alone. And the guy says, great. I like that idea. Because I don't want to fight you either. Because I might lose. And I say, great. I don't want to fight you because I might lose. So cool. Cool. So we make a detente, D-E-T-E-N-T-E. We make an agreement. Now, hold on. What if we get into a fight? What if we get into a disagreement? And the other guy says, that would be bad because we might kill each other. We might fight. Exactly. So what if we set up a place where we can get together me, you, and the other strong guys around here to talk about our issues and to make the rules that will all abide by to keep us, the strong, from fighting each other. And the other guy says, that's a great idea. What will we call it? And we'll call it um, the get-together. No. We'll call it... Um, the round table. No, already taken. Um, we'll call it um, something cool, sophisticated, French <gasps> parliament. We'll call it government. And for Hobbes, that's the idea of government. The government is the alliance of the strong who get together to create the rules for dominating the weak. The weak agree to this. Why? They have numbers. They outnumber the strong. But they want stability. They want predictability. And the strong say, do what we say, and nothing bad will happen, and we'll protect you from the other strong guys over there who speak another language. And the, and the weak say, okay. And boom, you have a government. That government is the alliance of the strong who make an agreement on how they will dominate the weak. That's Hobbes. Why? 
because disorder is worse. For him, the English Civil War was a terrible trauma and tragedy. And the idea is that disorder is worse. And we now go to Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein was a bad guy. When we invaded in 2003, he was a bad guy. You will not find me being an apologist for Saddam Hussein. And yet, Iraq fell apart, entered into civil war, entered into local genocides of religiously inspired jihadists. The Shia killed, murdered, tortured all of the Sunnis they could get their hands on. Meanwhile, the Sunnis in the same neighborhood were murdering, torturing, kidnapping, killing all the Shia they could get their hands on. Neighborhoods that used to be integrated, first segregated, and then fought with each other and wiped out one side or the other. Iraq in 2002 was not a nice place, but it was predictable in a lot of ways. You stayed away from Saddam Hussein, you stayed away from his cronies, you kept your head down, and you could survive and live in this place. Women got educations. The life, the, the standard of living was good. Government worked. Yeah, there was cronyism. There was violence. There were bad things that happened to people. Would people have liked a democracy? Sure. But what happened was without a government, the entire society fell apart. And I have, have had Iraqi students, refugees from 2005, 2006, 2007, and all of them said it was better under Saddam. Why? Because it was predictable. In the Civil War, they lost their schools. They became refugees. They lost their homes. They lost all their wealth. They, they had to travel with only what they carried. Girls became prostitutes. I had boys tell me how their sisters had to become prostitutes in order to make money for the family in Syria while they were refugees. In Iraq in 2002, they were in school. In 2006, they were refugees and prostitutes. That Iraq became a Hobbesian world in the Civil War, as close as we have seen in the modern world, where neighbors fought neighbors, everyone was violent, and the strong began to dominate. And you saw that. It was the Shia that allied, the Shia groups that allied with Iran, Al-Qaeda, then later ISIS, Sunni groups that allied with Saudi Arabia, whoever might have allied with the United States. And then people said, well, the United States ain't winning, and they allied somewhere else. Iraq was a horrible place to be in 2005, 2006. For everyone involved. It was a society where all the institutions collapsed. Neighbors killed neighbors. It was Hobbes. Hobbes was right. In Iraq in 2006. Saddam Hussein was a bad guy, and yet the Iraqis' life was better off with him than after him because the disorder was worse. So why don't we just end with Hobbes? Well, because we have Locke. Now, Locke is going to sound familiar. Locke better sound familiar to you because Locke is going to write the second treatise on government. And Thomas Jefferson is going to plagiarize that. If you read your Declaration of Independence, you are re reading Locke. There's no citations. He would have gotten a, Jefferson would have gotten a zero on a, if he turned that in as an exam. I would have said, uh, where'd you get this from? It sounds a lot like Locke. No citations, zero. Plagiarism. Locke didn't live through the, the, the Civil War. If he did, he was very young. It, he lived through an event called the Glorious Revolution. Now, already, the name tells you something. It is the Glorious Revolution of 1688, where James II, the Catholic king James II, was bloodlessly overthrown. 
basically people were willing to put up with him. They they had Charles II, maybe a Catholic, maybe not. Eh. He didn't wear his religion on his sleeve, so no one cared. His brother James II took over, very Catholic. Now, we had just had a revolution against Charles I and had Protestant Protestantism win, so England does not want to go back to being Catholic. But we'll put up with James II. He's old. He's in his, he's whatever he is, in his 50s. He's fine. It's just him. The next person who will come is he has two daughters. He doesn't have a son. He has two daughters. They're both Protestants. They're married to Protestant princes. We're cool. We're fine. We could, the English Civil War was bad. We could put up with James. James ain't that bad. He's annoying, but he ain't that bad. And then he had a son. And he made that son Catholic. And basically, Parliament knocked on his door. Uh, Hello, Mr. James, Mr. King. Uh, You have to leave now. And James said, "Uh, I don't want to. I have an army. You can't make me. And Parliament said, "Uh, yeah, that army is Protestant. They're not going to fight for you. And by the way, your son-in-law and daughter... um, the Duke of Orange in the Netherlands, William, um, he's on his way. He's going to land with a Dutch army, um, and he's going to put his daughter on the throne. He's going to put his daughter. He's going to put his wife on the throne. And we invited him. So do everybody a favor and just leave. And James II said, okay, that sucks, but okay. And he went to France. It's the Glorious Revolution. It was bloodless. The king left. William and Mary show up. Parliament gives them the power of being king and queen. It's awesome. So what does this say? What did Locke, what lesson did Locke take from this? That people are awesome. That people are great. That people are independent and can make decisions. People in the state of nature have rights, ability, and are awesome. But, and it's a big but, in the state of nature, when you're alone, you are awesome. Every decision you make is great, is right. The problem for Locke was people don't live alone. People live in societies. And what is right for me may not be right for everybody else. And so, yes, I am awesome, and I have rights, and I can do what I want because I make good choices. But you think the same thing about you. And so the idea is to live in society, we have to give up some of our rights. The four-way stop sign is a perfect example of this. The four-way stop sign is lock in life that you deal with every day. What are the rules of a four-way stop? First, you have to stop. Whether you want to or not, you have to stop at the stop sign. So I give up the right to just keep on going because if I keep on going and everybody keeps on going, we're going to have a massive car crash and it's going to hurt lots of people. But I'm right. I make good decisions. So shouldn't I be allowed to go through the stop sign? That stop sign shouldn't apply to me. But it does. I give up my right to just go right on through in order to get everybody else. So we all stop. And so what's the rule? The first person who gets the stop sign goes first. (gasps) Great. Makes total sense. But what if everyone gets there at the same time? The person to your right should go. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. I have had plenty of teenage students and they all say the same thing. Wait a minute. If the person to your right goes, then nobody will go. Exactly. Exactly. The idea of that rule is that somebody other than you should go. That sooner or later, people will figure it out and somebody will go. But the idea is you let somebody else go. You shouldn't go. That's the idea of that rule. 
that the person to your right. So we said, say some, but the idea is that somebody else goes. You don't go. You give up your right to go first for somebody else. I am awesome and I am right and you are awesome and you are right. But when we get together, we have to give up rights in order to get along. This is the gun debate right now in America. It's a Lockean debate. Because gun rights advocates, especially open carry people, say, I have the right to carry my weapon, my machine gun, wherever I am. I want to go to Chipotle. I want to bring my AK-47 with me. I have that right. That's true. They do. They also have the law on their side in many states that say, you go to Chipotle, you can bring your semi-automatic gun with your blocks on it so that you can shoot your entire magazine of 30, 40 rounds, 50 rounds in five seconds. You can do it. But should you? And this is where Locke comes in. Locke would say, no, you shouldn't. Because if you do it, then you force other people to do it. And if other people do it, then the likelihood of something bad happening goes up. And the idea is, yes, you have the right, but you should give up that right to be able to have a nice meal in Chipotle and so nobody else is scared of you. You say, but I'm right. I'm good. I'm not going to shoot anybody. But nobody knows that when you show up with a machine gun. You automatically become the problem. Not the solution to problems. Because everybody without a gun goes, wait a minute, why do you have a gun? And so in Europe, in Asia, the, in Australia, New Zealand, the, the solution was, in a lot of places, you can own a gun. You keep it at home, in a safe, under rules and regulations. And we're going to keep a... a database about who has guns and who doesn't have guns and you're going to give up some of your rights to use that weapon in order for other people to give up that right that's Locke I know you're awesome you'll never use your gun in a bad way ever but what about everybody else? The very fact that you want to carry your gun to Chipotle means you think a person with a gun will show up at Chipotle to do something bad. Which means your argument for yourself, you automatically don't think applies to other people. You see how this gets, this gets complicated real fast. But it's the problem of the commons, which we talked about in History 101. It's the idea that what's good for you may not be good for society. None of my students are better off if I carry a shotgun into class. Nobody is better off. I'm not better off. You're not better off. I could do it. But nobody is benefits from that. It hurts our discussion. It hurts our debate. It also makes, it adds violence to every discussion and interaction. Right? You want to walk up to me and tell me I'm wrong and I'm a this and I'm a that because of my grading? All right, but I have a shotgun. You have to respect that shotgun. That changes our discussion. Now, I know I'm awesome, and I'm right, and I do great things, and I don't make bad choices because I am a Lockean hero. But you don't know that. And so what Locke argues, and Locke is the founding philosopher of the American Republic, is that to live in society, 
yes, you're awesome, but we have to give up these rights in order to live in society. So what about government? How does this apply to government? Well, bad governments should be replaced. Why? Because we're awesome and we can make good decisions. And so if we have a bad government, a uh, treasonous government, a tyrannical government, get rid of that government and we'll put in a new government. We could do it. The United States, France, lots of countries will do that. We'll say, hey, we can do this and we'll just make the new government. And we'll make the new rules. And we'll figure it out. France has had, what are we, in the Fifth Republic? They've had five republics and two empires. And then there's the monarchy. So we can do it. So we can replace bad government. That's huge because it's very humanist. It's very pro-people. You can figure out what the best government for you is. The United States has a president system. France has a parliamentary system. Well, I shouldn't say that. France has a president system as well. Um, England has a parliamentary system. Germany has a parliamentary system. Sweden has a parliamentary system. Russia has a presidential system. Different societies can figure out different solutions to their own society. That brings us to Rousseau. So I used to do Montesquieu. Now we're going to do Rousseau. So... We bring in Rousseau. Rousseau is the hippie of the hippie of the hippies. He thinks people are awesome all the time. In fact, he thinks civilization is the problem. Rousseau is a reaction to French absolutism. He looks at French absolutism of one guy being in charge of everything and says, this is total BS. The people are awesome and should make their own rules. And those rules are defined as the general will. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But Rousseau is for the general will, the consensus of people, because people are awesome. In the state of nature, everything they did was right. When they hung out together, they hung out in groups, and like good old hippies on a commune, they got along together, and it was wonderful. They shared. There was no ownership. It's like a John Lennon song. There's no religion, there's no countries, there's no any possessions, there's just is. And it's civilization and rules that screw it all up. This is Foucault, who's a French philosopher of the 70s, who talks about the imperialism of words. That simple words are used by groups to dominate peoples. Simple words. His example is what gay people were called. Gay people were sodomites in the 19th century, which meant it was a religious problem. God hated them for what they were doing. It was a religious sin. In the 20th century, they became homosexuals. It became medical. It's not religious. It's not a sin anymore. It's a medical condition. But that medical condition, being a medical condition, can also be cured. Through medicine. And then homosexual people said, well, that sucks. I don't like that. And they named themselves gay. They took a word that meant happy. Because homosexual, uh, homosexuality was seen as an inversion, as a problem. And they're like, no, I want to be this way. I'm gay. I'm happy. And I'm going to take ownership over this word. I'm going to call myself what I want to be called. And Foucault is that the power groups named them because they didn't like them, bad things. And that in order to name themselves, they had to take power. That's Foucault. That society branded people. Freud has a book after the First World War called Civilization and Its Discontents. That civilization creates rules that people can't abide by. People feel guilt. People feel overwhelmed by. There's rules. There's obligations. There's responsibilities. That civilization puts so much pressure on people. As seen in the superego. That it dominates. It crushes. 
the ego and the id. And that it makes people miserable. That civilization is bad. So Rousseau believes um, in, has a saying like, all men are born free, but live in chains. It's the idea that society, rules, regulations. Um, there's a song by Harry Chapin, Chapin, C-H-A-P-I-N, uh, about colors and how when a kid draws, he just makes the art he wants to make and he just draws colors everywhere and he's happy with it. And then the teacher, because there's always teachers, come along and say, but you're drawing outside the lines. You're not drawing greens. Flowers are not blue or flowers are not this color. Grass is green. Grass isn't blue. And that what that does is limit people's, that dominates people's freedom. So what Rousseau says is we should have the general will. All rules should be the general will. We should all get together and the general will is the organic decision of what people accept. Like adults should not have sex with children. Pedophilia is bad. That's the general will. Are there some people who say, no, 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 we should totally do that? Yes. And society as a whole looks at them and says, you're a terrible person, you're a pervert, and if you do it, we're going to throw you in jail for a very, very long time. You shouldn't be in society. That's the general will. We kind of all got together and agreed on these things. And that sounds great. That there will be no rules. We'll all just agree. It'll be organic and we'll get together and everyone... Yeah, it's like standing on line. People accept that you stand on line and how lines work. And the people who cut the line, who are like, oh, the line doesn't apply to me, you get pissed and everyone else on the line gets pissed because you're obeying the general will of how lines work. And they're not. What makes them so special? F you, man. Back to the line. Get in the back. But I'm special. I don't care. And now you have 30 people online being all the same. Even the guy in the father's 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 back says, no, 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 no. You get behind me. And so he also believes in what the what becomes known as the noble savage. And we see this in books like Brave New World and Robin, Robinson Crusoe, men who live outside of rules will succeed, will be better, won't have all of the, 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 the weight on them. The noble savage. We, uh, the noble savage goes as far back as uh, the first story ever written in Gilgamesh, where Ekadu is enslaved in by society by the love slash sex of a woman. He's fine. He's doing whatever he wants. He's independent. He's Adam. And it's then being brought into society that ruins him. That people are better without all those rules. So, now there's a problem with the general will. And what is that problem? That problem is, what about things that are contentious, controversial? Rousseau doesn't have an answer to that. He just kind of says, well, you'll figure it out. Well, um, abortion is a perfect example of this. There are people who think abortion has to be legal because it's, it can be medically necessary at times, but it's also about the freedom of one's body and privacy. There are other people who think abortion is murder. Neither side is outrageous in their thought. They both have evidence. They both have perspectives. They both have a large number of people who, who support them. Right? The general will on abortion is you shouldn't murder the women. Right? Yelling at them, going into the abortion clinic, humiliating them, doxing them, assaulting them and or killing them, is the no-no. That applies usually to the doctors too, but every 
once in a while, a doctor is murdered, and there's a small group, a significant group, that goes, well, you know, he's the murderer, so... But the general will is, you don't murder the woman, the mother. You try to convince her to have an adoption. You try to convince her to keep the baby. You try to do various different things, some of which are nice, some of which are not nice. But you don't murder her. Like, that's the general will. But on the abortion itself, you have no general will. Unless you get down to really localized levels. But then what you're talking about is people living in very small groups that agree on these issues. You're talking about segregation from larger societies. Now, there's arguments that American society is, has begun to do this over the last, say, 30 years, that conservatives are starting to live with conservatives and liberals are starting to live with liberals and people are moving to areas. But even then, in New Jersey, there are people who live next to people who disagree with them on many different things, from school taxes to abortion to gun rights to many different things. And there is no general will. And Rousseau doesn't have a solution to how you figure that out. But then again, he doesn't need a solution because he doesn't believe society is good for people. He thinks society is bad for people. So he'd be very happy if you just walked the earth like Buddha doing your own thing. Not needing anybody like Bruce Banner in The Hulk. So there are problems with Rousseau. Rousseau is as liberal as you get, whereas Hobbes is as conservative in this philosophy as you get. There, there, there can be people even more conservative, but... Hobbes at least acknowledges we can change the government. It doesn't belong to God. It is. So Hobbes is where we start because that's where philosophy on government over the next 200 years goes. It starts with him, goes to Locke, and has other people, Montesquieu and Rousseau, factoring into it, uh, and other philosophers as well. So that's the alignment. That's the three different attitudes of people towards people, that people are terrible, Hobbes, People are awesome but need to give up their rights when they live together, Locke. Rousseau, people are awesome and it's society that makes them bad, Rousseau. And so that's where we'll end. So thank you. <laughs>